good morning. Um, we're going to keep moving in Luke chapter 8. I'll do my best not to hit the table and shake the phone. Um, so last week, we actually cut off in a weird place last week. Last week we talked about um, the ladies who are accompanying Jesus uh, and were helping support his ministry. The parable of the sower, um, which we said is probably more appropriately called the parable of the seeds or the parable of the soil. Um and the basic nature of that, right? Layla, do you remember which of the very, the soils that were described? So there was thorny, well, like bushes, thorny bush, bushes. Okay, what was it when when the seed landed in the within the weeds? What happened? It um, the weeds choked it. Choked it out, right? And so we compared that uh, when Jesus explains the parable, he explains it as like this: things might be worries or money, anything that otherwise takes your focus. Um, from the things that otherwise the kingdom stuff and is otherwise worldly stuff that chokes that takes your attention basically. Okay, uh, what uh, Emma? What are the, what are the other ones? Rocky soil, so where it got in, but then underneath the rock, so it couldn't sink in. That's right, right. So it landed on rocky soil, and like it grew up a little bit, it had a, a little bit of chance, and then otherwise died off because it didn't have any roots. And uh, this this happens a lot. People hear the message of God, and then frankly, they they get super excited about it, um, and it doesn't soak in. It doesn't actually into their life. It doesn't start changing their lives. Uh, it just becomes something that they hear and get excited about, and then it fades away. And so, um, and then it goes. And then we have where it just bounces. Right, Pack that was soil. that. What's that? The Pack the packed one where it just bounces, and the evil devil birds come take it away. Yes. Yep. And, and then the the, good the final was the good soil, right? It, it's 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 received, um, it's embraced, and it starts to change your life, and can produce you know a hundredfold from where it began. Okay, and and again, we shouldn't think of that parable of the of the soils as a as a progression. Um, it's an indication kind of of a life lived. And Jesus only looks positively on one. Sometimes we say, well, in this in this season of my life, maybe I'm the weeds. Maybe I'm the one with the weeds. It's not how it really works. That's not what he's talking about. He's representing four options of which he only really approves of one. Um, his kingdom thing is an in and out thing. Like you're either in uh, or you don't want it. And so um, anyway, that's that's the example he's giving the parable of the sower. Uh, and then he explained the parables. And we said one thing about the parables is they were kind of curious because they have the effect. They have different effects on different people, right? Um, do you guys remember the, what I said? The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. Right, so parables have the um, for people who re- who want to understand it, God will provide the information. He will provide a means to understand it. For people who don't want to understand or rejecting the message, the parables are going to be confusing. Um, and Jesus says that's all right because he's again he's making distinctions about people are how they're reacting to his kingdom. Okay, uh, and then ultimately he ends with um, after, no one puts a lamp or under a jar. Why not? Jesus. Yeah, why would you light a lamp to put light into the room and then hide it under the bed or put it under a jar? You wouldn't. You would take good news. You would take um, things that are otherwise meant to be hidden and shine them out into the rest of the world. Okay, and he said that that's how we react. And there's a couple ways to take that. One is this is that what you do with the message of God. That isn't really Luke's perspective. Matthew has that perspective. Luke doesn't really talk about it that way. But I think the way Luke talks about it, about a lamp, all things where he says nothing is hidden that will not made be manifest or anything is secret that um Anyway, so I think one of the things this tells us about Luke, though, is that Jesus's intent isn't to hide things from people. He doesn't tell parables to purposely deceive people or to hide good news from them. Jesus obviously wants to tell good news. I think he's giving the reality that people who take these things in won't want anything to do with it um, or they won't understand the parable any deeper if they actually don't want to embrace it at all. Okay, 
Um, okay, so then the, the story continues in Luke chapter 8, and we're going to have a chance to talk about Jesus' interaction with his, with his family, um, and then two stories about Jesus calming a storm and one about him um, healing a man with a demon. So it continues. This is Luke chapter 8, verse 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. End of anecdote. What do you think the reaction is to what Jesus has just said? Um, kind of like his mother is not his mother. Yeah, isn't it kind of a weird thing to say? Like your family's here. He's like, eh, my family are the people who hear the word of God and do it. Did he just like reject his family? He redefined his family. Um, now, this I, I don't think we have to be careful. Um, and Mark's rendering of this, I, I think, points us in a slightly different direction as far as how we're supposed to think the, the, about the family. Um, Mark's context is that the family was coming because they're uh, they're worried about Jesus. They're worried about the things he's saying. We're worried about the things that he's claiming. Um, there's probably a sense that he's bringing shame unto the family. If he's representing himself as a man who has power, who's a prophet of God, and otherwise people think he's crazy, you might go, if you had a crazy relative, you would go trying to stop them from acting crazy in front of people and say, hey, man, why don't you, hey, Ted, why don't you come home for a bit? <laughs> maybe we can help you stop acting crazy, okay? So maybe that's what's happening. Um, but in either case, his mom and his brothers want to come in, and they want to reach him, and they can't because the crowd is just so big. Um, so Jesus' popularity continues to grow, and people pass information and say, hey, tell Jesus we're here, and we're standing outside waiting for him. And instead of reacting necessarily to the fact that they're here, he redefines the sense of family. Okay, He says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So what's, what, he provided two things um, that define the family. There are those who what? Hear the word of God. Hear the word and? And do it and, and react to it and actually uh, agree to it and use it to otherwise change their lives. What this doesn't give us a place for is to say, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word. And that's it. Jesus' kingdom continues to be one where your actions are reflected in what you believe. Because the concept really isn't that you can't believe and not do anything. Okay, You can't say, I believe Jesus is king and not actually have your life reflect that he is king. Okay, So it's it's not that Jesus is, is saying... Um, well, what, what he's pushing back against is the thought that you can just agree, that there's just an agreement that says, oh, yeah, Jesus is king, or Jesus is who he says he is, or God is who he says he is, and then ultimately you don't have to change anything about your life. That's not the nature of his kingdom. That's not the nature of the message that he's bringing. The good news is not just information. The good news is actually a program. It's a kingdom of itself, and it changes your life, Okay. And so he redefines family here, and that's great news for us because what that means is that we are the family of Jesus. Okay? When he says that if we are those who hear the word of God and do it, Jesus looks at us the same way with the same level of, um, I don't know, family connection that you might think of a relationship that people have with their mom and, and brothers and sisters and stuff. Okay, So Jesus is redefining the nature of family. Have you guys ever heard the, um, you ever heard the, the phrase, blood is thicker than water? It, it, it usually means to to explain that, like, hey, family connections, like our blood connections, okay, are strong and they're thicker than anything else. But Christianity is actually the opposite. If you think about what, when you think water, if you think baptism, the thing that otherwise is a declaration that, like, we are part of the family of God, then water is thicker than blood. Um, Jesus warns that, that people who follow him um, run the risk of severing family ties. This is especially true in the Middle East. This isn't as true in the United States. Um, it happens, but it's not near as likely. But, like, 
in the East and not just the Middle East. This is true in the Far East too. So places like in, in Asia and things, um, if you don't choose the religion of your family, um, then they will disown you. And in some places will kill you even as an honor, what they call an honor killing. Okay. And so, um, there are times when there are real, there are real things where following Jesus will cost you family relationships. And Jesus is, although can, can mourn with you in it, he's providing you family in its stead. Okay. Cause it could, because in Christianity, water is thicker than blood. Um, and I, and I like this. I I'm often am not reminded of this, I guess, and I'm encouraged by it. Um, that when Jesus looks down on us, he says, family, family, closeness of family. It's, it's a very interesting relationship we have with Jesus in that, yes, he's king. Uh, and so you feel like there's a separation between his powerful self and our, I don't know, lack of power self. But that same king looks out and goes, I love you. I'm your brother. I'm family. So anyway, it's an interesting um, interaction that Jesus has with these folks. Uh, next, uh, it moves into a story about Jesus calming a storm. Now, it says one day he got into a boat. It's not imp- implied that it's the same day. As a matter of fact, both Matthew and Mark tie this story to, a, to uh, a different situation completely. It's just saying sometime around this time when he's walking around uh, Capernaum, he gets into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? So a few things in this particular story. So they get into a boat with his disciples. You remember we talked about this boat a little bit before. This is not like a John boat. Okay, It's not like a canoe. It's a pretty decent-sized boat. The fishing boats that they had were also decent-sized boats because you had to have multiple dudes on it, and you were fishing, and you were hauling catches of fish and putting them in there, okay? So this is probably a pretty good-sized boat. It has all his disciples in it. It's also very possible that those same ladies were with him, okay? And we like at, at least the ladies that, that Luke was talking about early in the chapter, that they were also riding on the boat as well, okay? So it's a pretty good-sized boat. And he says, let us go across the other side of the lake. What lake is that? What is it? Guatemala. It's, it's the sea. Of, so when we say Sea of Galilee, it's you think of it as a lake, a lake of it's a big lake, Lake of Galilee, or sometimes you'll see it Lake of Gennesaret. OK, that's it. If you think about uh, quick hand geography. So if this is the Sea of Galilee, which is pretty close to like a fish shape, um, uh, Capernaum is up here. OK, and then if you look around, he's going to cross. He's oh, you can't really see. He's going to cross this way. Okay, and end up over on some towns over here. On this side, these are Jewish towns. Okay, on Capernaum and everything, these are t- towns of the Jews. Uh, and this is Herod Antipas's area over here. Okay, this is um, Philip the Tetrarch um, area, and this is not Gent- this is Gentile territory. Okay, these are the Decapolis, ten Grecian cities. Um, these are not Jewish areas. Okay, so they're going to cross to the other side of the lake. And so we know that when he says he wants to cross, he's leaving Jewish territory and he's moving over to a Gentile territory. Okay. I mean, do they both use the lake? Yeah, they both fish the lake, definitely. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, like a lot of this is why Capernaum was so big. It was a it was a port town where people would go fishing and then try, you know, they would sell the fish and stuff on the other side. And you certainly could get Gentile folks fishing and then trying to sell it over in Capernaum or taking it back. 
like like say like this side is our side. This side, our side no, is don't. It's not like a. It's not like a Sneetches where there's a plain belly stars and those with stars on their belly. Um, I mean, from a religious perspective, yes, but they certainly traded. They would do trade and things. They weren't um, hyper. Uh, that's why Jesus was allowed to go. It's not like he wasn't allowed to cross the lake or anything. All right, so they set out. They're going to go across the lake. Jesus gives no indication why he's crossing the lake. He could just be like, you know what? Let's hit the lake. Let's go out on the lake, cross the lake. See, with me and the bros and the ladies are going to go over to the other side of the lake. Um, and he falls asleep. Now, Bible story about a man getting a boat and falling asleep. Does this trigger anything for you? Jonah. 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 Now, what was Jonah doing in the boat? Avoiding responsibility. That's right. He was fleeing from God. Uh, Jonah had uh, a request from God to go share good news to non-Jewish people, right? Okay. He, he gets in the boat. He goes to sleep. Jesus is going to be the opposite of this thing, okay? Jesus is getting in a boat. He's going to cross the lake. Uh, it seems with the express intent to share good news with non-Jewish people. So where Jonah made the run for it, Jesus is acting faithfully. Um, and he's, the, the intent isn't to say, I'm going to do the anti-Jonah. It's just, we, we, they're intentionally telling a story that allows us to make connections within biblical stories, okay? So, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Now, I need you guys to be careful. Um, when we talk about the disciples, take it easy on them. Just like I think we need to have a little bit of grace for the Pharisees, because to a certain extent, they're trying to do the right thing. This is also true for the disciples. The disciples are acting very human. It's often funny, and you probably find me six, seven years ago, I had a lot less um, grace for the disciples. I'm like, Peter, you impetuous dude. Right. Or like you silly disciples. Why don't you understand? Here's the thing. Just as we've seen throughout the Gospels, guys, people are taking in Jesus and they just don't fully get it. And to, if we're being honest, there's probably elements of that in our lives, too. All right. So don't ever look at the di disciples and go, oh, you're significantly overreacting. Don't you know Jesus is in the boat? I'm not sure that we would have fell, fell into the same thing. OK, so. They say, uh, oh, right. It said that there was a windstorm come down in the lake. Uh, have we talked about the geography of the of Sea of Galilee? Maybe a long time ago. Okay, think of it. Um, think of it as a bowl, kind of. So, like, it's the the lake sits here, and then it's got like wide uh, mountains and things. Okay, steep hills on on all around it. Okay, so what could generally happen um, is that storms could come on quick. They could kind of roll up, and then they would kind of make their way down and hit the lake and hit it very very quickly. There'd be a mixture of kind of uh, moist, cold air coming up from the sea and then warm air coming up um, over to, from over top of the hills. And they would meet and they would create very, very dangerous storms very quickly. Okay, These are professional fishermen. They weren't just jolly riding out there and go, oh, we had no idea the weather was going to be this. Like it was unpredictable. And so also when they say we are perishing, that, that we're in danger, we should take their word on it. They're not overacting. It's not like it's a, it's a mild storm and they're wigging out. Okay, Again, professional fishermen. Um, if there's danger here, we should trust that it's real. And so they're looking out and they're saying, this is a massive storm. We're taking on water. Um, we very well could die here. As a matter of fact, they don't see a means of which they're not going to die in this storm. So they wake Jesus up and they say, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. Now, a few things to note. What's that, buddy? Yeah, don't eat that. I don't know what that is, but that I wouldn't eat it. I think it's an old potato. Yeah, potato. Okay, straighten her up. Um, 
So he wakes, rebukes the wind and raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. Now, what caused, in the story of Jonah, what caused the, the storm to stop? Oh, when they chucked him overboard, right? Okay. Um, who was controlling the winds and the waves at that time? God was. Yeah, Yahweh. Yahweh is controlling the winds and the waves at that time. And that's a pretty consistent theme throughout the Old Testament. If you look at places like Psalm 107, there's descriptions of God controlling waves, being able to control creation in that way. Okay. And so from everything from a Jewish background that you would know is that no man controls the waves. There are stories of things like emperors and kind of other myth figures um, in ancient history who can ask gods to do things on their behalf to control creation. But there is no man who otherwise controls creation. And so Jesus gets up, rebukes the wind. I like that phrasing. It's the same thing he does with demons. Like it's it's like he uh, it's like he th- he th- hauls throws them out like a like a criminal like someone trespassing. That's right. So he rebukes the wind um, and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. Who controls the wind and the waves? God does. Who just controlled the wind and the waves? Jesus did. Right? Now, we would look back and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I suppose he could. But if you're Andrew, if you're Peter, if you're John, you're going, what? What the heck just happened right here? He didn't say, Jesus didn't get up and go, Yahweh, send your send your rescue, calm the waves. Jesus got up and rebuked the waves and rebuked the wind. This continues to, to broaden how they have to think of, of Jesus, okay? And so he gets up and there was a calm. And again, when creation speaks or even when creation listens, it's something that we should focus in on, okay? Creation is in direct obedience to Jesus, which tells us something about his character, about who he is. Uh, if you conti- if we continue, he said to them, where is your faith? Now, how do you imagine him saying it? Where's your faith? You think it's like an accusation? <laughs> no, it's like, yeah. Where is your faith? Man says, yeah, yeah. He's like accusing him. Hey, come on, where's your faith? Where is your faith? Did you really think I would let you die here in this boat? Have people ever died in a boat? Through due to a storm on the Lake of Gennesaret? Sure. Sure, a lot have. Were some of them faithful followers of Yahweh? was a lake. Same. Was a lake. I, you missed the geography lesson. <laughs> Big storms. <laughs> Big storms coming into the lake. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I don't I don't know. I think depending on your your flavor of how you think Jesus, generally if Jesus acts like your personality, this is what you would have him doing. You see him being harsh. You see him being gracious. Um, we don't get a sense for what it is. Um, I don't think he's harsh. You don't think he's being harsh? I think he's like, dude, where is your faith? Yeah. I wonder. Uh, so I think there's. Uh, it's not clear. So it doesn't say the tone of which he takes it. I don't know that it's probably a lecture. Because Jesus is not dumb. He very much recognizes that what he has just done continues to up the ante. Now, we say we've already seen some of these stories. Yeah, but that's the same potato I already saw, man. I love it. Um, the uh, He's already kind of he's raised some from the dead already. Right. So like there's this notion of like, what the heck is going on with Jesus? Um, but to see it, to see him come and act directly in front of you in a way that shows his dominance and authority over creation. 
it gives them pause. And I think what Jesus is probably saying to them is, where has it gone? Like, from what you have seen, where has your faith gone? Not like, where is it? Why don't you have it? But where is it? What has happened to it? Because you've seen me work this way already. As if there's, I think there's a pretty clear lesson for us there. Is that a lot of times, it's not that we didn't have faith that God would do good things so that he's not trustworthy. It's that we find ourselves in moments and it and has escaped us. The things that we know to have been true leave us. And Jesus is, is, is probably looking down going, hey man, where did it, where did that go? You trusted me yesterday. You trusted me a week ago. What's going on with today? Because I'm the same God. I'm the same King. Where is your faith gone? So I think that's possible. Um, it is possible that Jesus is acting, what is your faith actually in? Okay, so like if you looked at something, we're talking about questions of what is more powerful. Is Jesus more powerful than X, Y, Z? He's already chased out demons. He has already um, healed people uh, from sicknesses. He's already raised people from the dead. He's, here he has an interaction with creation. The question is, what do I believe is more powerful than this person that I'm following, than this Jesus that I'm following? So be, be gracious with the disciples. Um, Jesus continues to reveal himself to them, and they're having to take it in and reframe how they think about him as they go. Nobody got Jesus right out of the gate. That's true in your relationship with Jesus as well. Um, this is true for kids just like it's true for adults. Guys, the level of maturity will continue to change. You will know Jesus more and more. He, you will continue to reveal notions of his character, and you will know him deeper. You will not be the same follower of Jesus two years from now, five years from now, ten years from now. Okay, It just changes, and it's okay. The burden isn't that you have a high technical and uh, academic knowledge of Jesus right now. We talk the way we talk, or I teach the way I teach, because I want to make sure I've given you absolutely everything the Bible has on its page. But like, just be prepared to say, God, to, to have this thing in your mind that says, I know I don't know everything now. I know I think I know, um, but I know there's so much more to Jesus, and there's so much more to the kingdom. And so I'm prepared to grow every day. And Jesus does expect you to do that. That's why we Bible read. That's why we engage with him in prayer. This is that we can grow deeper and know more about Jesus. Um, yeah, that's an apple. Yeah, right on. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just a reminder um, that the disciples who got to see this stuff firsthand, they're going through the same things we are as we're saying, God, how can I understand you differently? This is bigger than I thought. It's more than I thought. This is deeper than I thought. Um, and some of that just comes where we approach Yahweh and we approach Jesus with a bit of humility. And says, I'm, I'm open to so much more. I'm asking you to show it to me. Okay. Um, I just had a super funny thought. What's what your super funny Jesus, thought? When, when the boats, when the, the big storm starts up, Jesus is like, he's, he's having a dream. He's like, oh, yep, I know. They're going to come and wake me up in a little bit. Yep, I know. It. You think he's having a vision yeah, real time of like, them coming to wake him up? Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, very well could be. Maybe he's talking to Jonah. Um, and so he says, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Now, when it says they were afraid and they marveled, I think that's a proper response when you see God at work. Like a lot of stuff, that's that's a lot of times what I pray for. Is God, help me see. Help me see what it is that you're doing. Um, and I think it's right that it caused some sense of fear, not like... Not completely a notion of being like afraid, um, but it's it's saying, boy, the, the extent of the power that I am now associated with, um, I'm not even quite sure what to do or what that means for me or for my life. 
Okay, so I think that's the proper response when God is at work, is that there's a, there's a notion of fear because of the amount of power involved, power we don't have, power we can't conceive, and marvel and wonder. And like, boy, what is, what is this that I'm even looking at? How could this possibly be? Um, I think there's a right response to that. If God is not surprising us, guys, we've probably put him so that we don't, we're not expecting it. We expect God to do human things, to solve things on a very human level. Um, and you got to open the floodgates wide and say, God, I am totally open to being marveled, to being afraid of the power that I see, uh, to being lost in wonder. I, you know, that, that overwhelmed song, there's a lot of language in there that I have trouble with. I just don't let things do that to me. I'm very protective of it. Um, to feel overwhelmed. I don't like to feel like um, I'm just gobsmacked in wonder. Like stuff just doesn't surprise me. And um, to the extent that you, that bleeds into our, I think there's something right about that, to be honest, from a human perspective. But um, to the extent that that bleeds in our expectations of God, um, I think we're missing out. And we're not, we're blind, we're seeing, but we remain blind in that way. So just um, maybe that's something we can be praying on, guys, in, in your everyday prayers. Say, God, help me to be open to being um, gobsmacked, to be open to being um, having wonder and marvel at the things that you're doing. Um, there's a lot of sermons about this, guys, where it's um, very spiritualized, like Jesus will help you in the storms of your life. Um, some of that's true, and some, some of it might just be a little bit overdone. Um, he didn't save everybody that ever had a storm on the lake, Okay. Um, it is a reminder that even when we think God is asleep at the wheel, um, he's there. It doesn't mean he's always going to take the actions that we want, but it does mean he will be there with us. Okay. And so uh, I would, if you can take anything spiritualized from this particular story, it would be that, um, is that God has not left you regardless of what you think. Okay. The story then moves on and it says, then they sailed to the country of the Gerizines. Okay. So that, that was the, that's the direction of the, uh, of the travel, right? So if I said he started in, uh, sea of Galilee, Lake of Gennesaret here, he starts in the, in Capernaum. Um, there is some debate over where the Gerizines are at, but they're likely over here. Okay. Right on this other side, he would have sailed directly across the lake. Okay. Um, in fact, Hey, that story, if you guys get really do listen to that, that story thing that I posted on Facebook, I would read it because it brings an interesting, it connects these two things because you get a perspective of someone standing on the shore in the Gar in, in Garasa or Garata. Um, that sees the storm and sees the boats and worries that they're going like and says those boats are done for and expects the, the storm to come by and then only to see a wreckage when in fact the uh, the boats continue to come and head toward the shore and then interact with this demon-possessed man. It's a very cool story. Um, and I, I just took, that's an excerpt from one chapter, chapter 19, um, in, a, in a very big book. So uh, anyway, go check that out. And then if you read the story, I, I think it'd be really cool. Okay, so they sailed to the country of the Gerizines, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. So let's just for a second, let's, let's narrow in on some of these stories. So Jesus steps out on land in Gentile territory, right? This is not Jewish territory. It's in Gentile territory. Demon position is a thing there, just like it is over in, in Galilee, and just like it is today. There are still people who, ha who suffer from this. Um, thinking that this is not real is simply for a matter of not looking. So this is something that is still happening today. Um, look at the description of a man, and I like it. I like that it says there met a man, like he's waiting at the shore for people. Um, it says he had worn no clothes, so he's buck wild. He's buck wild nude, this guy. 
and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. Um, Mark gives us a little bit more explanation of this guy, but like it's it brings us some sense of reminder of what um, of what evil does to people. Um, some things that we can that we can recognize it causes him to isolate. Isolation, guys, is not good. It is not healthy for you at all. Okay, um, you have to fight that as much as you can to try. And I know this is this is difficult, uh, especially in the time that we're in with the with the COVID stuff. But um, it is not healthy to be by yourself. So you so you need to find ways to otherwise interact with other people. Okay, um, it is um, it is a tool of of Satan to otherwise get you alone because when you're by yourself you start to uh, weed out any competing thought. No one could encourage you because they're not around. No one, when you have wrong thoughts in your head, things that aren't true, um, or things you start believing about yourself or about other people or about God, because you don't interact with other people, you'll never know the difference. And you start to get consumed by your own thoughts. A lot of anxiety, a lot of worry comes from self-thinking, things that only exist inside your head, okay? So isolation is not good. Like sitting by yourself and praying is great, uh, and like periods of being by yourself is totally fine, but extended amounts of time when you are alone. Um, and I don't mean just like physically alone. I mean, you don't share things with other people. Um, you don't openly talk about things that are going on with you, honestly and truthfully. Um, you start to run some risks. Okay. And so, um, demon possession will almost always, um, lead to isolation because they want, they, they want, don't want you to be around competing true things. Okay. Um, the naked thing, and like we also find out that he, he breaks change, like he cannot be bound. Um, this notion of superhuman strength is a demon possession thing. Um, naked is a sh- it's a shameful thing, uh, especially in that time. Like you can't run around naked here either. But like um, to not to live among the tombs, to want to spend your time around death and um, dark things um, is is a description we get of this person. And the fact that they cannot be contained at all. Like people have tried to subdue them and they cannot be subdued. Okay. Um, When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. What's true about this man or the demons that possess him? They recognize Jesus. They recognize Jesus. What's interesting is that that most high tends to be a Gentile description of Yahweh. So when, when Gentiles refer to Yahweh, they would say the most high God. That doesn't tend to be things that Jewish folks say. So like this is a Gentile recognition, um, it were at least a Gentile territory by demons who say, like, it's not, this is not the man. These are the demons. Have demons recognized who Jesus is already in, in Luke? Yeah. Yes. Yes. This has already occurred. Okay. So what, what humans are struggling to understand, the spiritual world already totally gets by his presence. They just, they know who it is. They know who they're dealing with. And so it says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. What's he worried about? What are the demons worried about? What, what does that imply? What does that imply that the, that the demons know? That's right. They know that he can do it. And there's one other thing, though. They know that's what's coming. They know that they deserve it. They are aware of who they're dealing with, and they are aware of what will happen when they interact with him. See, a lot of times we actually, the, 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 the demons have, the spiritual world has a lot better insight into Jesus. We look at him, we go, well, we can take him or leave him. 
there there may be no consequence to saying, well, he's king or he's not king. I don't particularly care. Okay. Um, the demons have a really clear sense that if you are not with Jesus, you ultimately are going to find yourself against him. And their notion of torment, we're going to find out in a little bit, is a cast into the abyss. We'll talk about that in just a second, too. Okay? But, like, they are aware of who Jesus is, and they are aware of their position as it relates to Jesus and his kingdom. Um, that is one thing that we, and from a human perspective, run the risk of, is that we simply have blindness. We think we can discard him. We think we can just take him or leave him. And that's the risk. Is that, Jesus, that that not treating Jesus as a, as a figure with any consequence in our lives? He's a flavor. He's a dessert. We can or cannot have him. It's just not the reality, and the spiritual world recognizes that. Okay. Um, I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Um, Jesus then asked him, "What is your name?" And he said, "Legion." For many demons had entered him. Did he answer the question? I'm not sure that legion is a proper name. I, your Bibles probably have it capitalized. What does the name, what, what does the word legion mean? Uh, like many? It, it means many, but it has a connotation um, in, in a Roman territory. Like hundred or ten? Could be, uh, you're thinking centurion. Um, it could be up to anywhere between 2,000 to 6,000 soldiers. You would, would be a Roman legion. Okay, so I don't know. Most of your most of your Bibles will render that as a proper name. I'm not sure that's the case. I think the demon is trying to avoid this this particular thing by saying, "I don't have a name. We are a lot of different people." So in his in his question to a name, he provides a number. Um, what, what might be the demon trying to do? Because we here's well, let me let me probably step start with this. We have to admit that demons are stupid. Yes. Like, they seem to have the impression, like, when you know you're going to lose something, a lot of times you decide not to play. <laughs> like, boy, I'm just going to get whooped here. I'm not going to bother stepping in. However, evil forces do continue to exist in the world. Satan is like this as well, right? They do still try, they, they're trying to basically get whatever they can or perpetuate as much evil as possible, even though ultimately they know they're going to lose. And so, recognizing that this isn't probably the sharpest group of demons, because they don't tend to be, what are they trying to do by saying we are many? Um, maybe scare Jesus? Yeah, right. So far, Jesus' interactions with demons have been one-to-one, -one, right? Demon-possessed woman, Jesus. One Jesus versus one demon, cast out, done. Okay? Funny, though. It seems silly, doesn't it? But, like, if you're saying, uh, it's, it's like having a... Um, Let's say someone was trying to, you see this in movies and even cartoons and books a lot. Like someone will go, hey, like there's a threat outside and they're like, don't come in here. We've got 15 well-armed people when it's just you. You're just trying to make it sound like there's more people. But you're hoping that the threat of an, a, a giant army would cause Jesus to go, oh, well, it's one against 6,000. I'm out. Yes. Or home alone at all. If you've seen Home Alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't come in here. We have a lot of people in here. Okay? And so that's I think that's what the demons are trying to do. They say, well, what is your name? And they're like, well, there's a lot of us in here. So that Jesus would go, oh, well, I better step back. Because, I mean, they might be 2,000 to 6,000 people or demons, and I'm only one Jesus. Does the number do the numbers here frighten Jesus at all? No. No, this is of no consequence to him whatsoever. Uh, there are no, there's no sense of um, imbalanced odds when it comes to Jesus. So whatever stack of stuff you think you have going on in your life, whether it be notions of evil or problems or pain or things of that nature, just know that the odds, Hunger Games style, are ever in your favor. 
They are ever in your favor because Jesus is in your favor and odds are irrelevant to him. Our one Jesus beats any count, any multitudes of any number of evil things. Okay? One to infinity, Jesus still wins. Okay? So, uh, they, the demons try to give him the slip and that is what happens. He says, what is your name? Oh, one other thing I want to tell you, and we're not going to get into this. Uh, I'm trying to figure out the right time to talk to this on how you should think about demons or people possessed by demons, but I will tell you this. This is not a notion of if I have the demon's name, then I can command it. That is not the notion here. And don't do that. If you ever find yourself in a situation where you're trying to interact with someone who seems to have some sort of um, demonic influence, okay? Your gig is not to try to interact with it or try to proclaim power over it, okay? And try to get its name. There is a belief in that, guys. I want you to drop that. Okay, there's no reason to go about that. Jesus does not does not trying to honor a demon by trying to get its name. That's not what he's trying to do. He's trying to provide a demonstration to his disciples. That's what's going to happen with the pigs too. Okay. Wait, so his disciples are there? Yes, his disciples. Remember, his disciples got off the boat with him. Okay. So anyway, just don't don't stretch this too far on like I deal with demons by asking for a name. You deal with demons the same way we deal uh, with anything else, which is a reminder of who Jesus is. And a reminder of who we are in light of Jesus, uh, and that they have no um, no place to stay here, and that that generally straightens it out. Okay, I'll find, we'll, we'll go into that most of sometime later. All right. So for for many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. See, that's what, when they say torture. What they mean is you're going to cast us basically away. The, um, you you might think of this. Uh, this is the only word. Um, the only time this word abyss shows up is in scripture. Um, in fact, well, it doesn't matter. There's a, there's a name for that on, on words that only show up once in kind of ancient literature. And this is one of those. Okay. It's called, well, I'll tell you, it's called a Hapax Legomenon. You, can you say that, Layla? Yeah, Hapax Legomenon. Okay. It means that the word only shows up once, which is means it's harder to define. Because if it only shows up one time, the only way we have to provide definition to it is the context of which it was used this one time. We can't look at other places or other stories or outside the Bible to get a better definition of it, okay? So just know that that's what this is. And so if um, when he says the abyss, I think we have the sense of it may be um, a place of a place of the dead, of the eternal dead, okay? Which the Old Testament would also use um, to talk about Sheol, all right? Uh, it's not a permanent place for people who love and serve Yahweh, but like it is a place of the dead. And I think that's what they're fearing. And so when they say torture, they basically mean take us away from this entirely. Okay, we don't get the freedom to be able to do these things that we want to be able to do. All right. Now, um, now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. What? There's a number of curious questions in there, right? He gave the demons permission to go into the pigs. Yeah, why would they ask to go to the pigs? I don't know. I was like, I don't know. It's like, who knows? <laughs> right. They're looking for an option. They're like, hey, uh, as opposed to people, because obviously we're going to lose this one. Uh, can we just go into those, these pigs there? And Jesus goes, yeah, I don't care. Why doesn't he just destroy him? Why does he just kill him? Why doesn't he just... Like, why, why even send him to the abyss? Why not just like eradicate them? I don't know that they're not thinking of the abyss as, as eradication. Um but, but our, our notion our notion of hell also contains that same question, which is what feels like, why not just be destroyed versus um, perpetual existence in this notion of separation from God? It's the same question. Yeah, so it's a question. It's, it's probably two things. It's probably one, a question of timing. Um, we, we Every time he casts out a demon, he doesn't destroy it. 
Jesus doesn't destroy it. Wait, I mean, it's it's. I think there's a lot of questions underneath why he may not do this. But like we see the same thing with the existence of evil in our world at all, right? If Jesus destroyed evil whenever he found it, what would happen to me? You'd be dead. I'd be gone already. And so would you. The notion of the presence of evil, okay, of sin, of something falls short that doesn't meet God's standard of good, okay, at any given time, even if you're rocking it 99% of the time, uh, that notion, if it were led to immediate destruction, we would not be here. And so God has a notion of patience. He has a notion of grace. I do not look into this as anything that I think the like demons can otherwise be redeemed. I don't know. Maybe there's another book somewhere in the spiritual realm that God deals with that. But the Bible doesn't. It's a human book. Okay. But our notion here um, is interesting and it doesn't tell us. I think it's probably just a not yet. I think it's a not yet, which I'm grace grateful for because I'm the same recipient of the not yet. And so I appreciate that. Sarah said maybe, uh, like, why would the demons ask to go into the cage? Maybe they thought it, was, it could be just like a temporary thing for them. And then they could, like, then they could jump back? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very possible. Yeah, it's, it's it doesn't... Um, I think it's an interesting question. I suppose one of my points is to say the Bible doesn't tell us, and, and I'm not sure that it particularly matters. It's interesting because I think it's fun to talk about. Um, but but it also brings up an interesting thing is whether animals can be possessed by demons. I mean, every once in a while, I see a cat, and I'm like, eh, I feel like that cat's not riding the mind. It's not. Rabbit dogs. My uncle used to try to tell me there was a devil pig outside when I was at my grandma's house. I, I wouldn't worry about meeting a possessed animal. Again, I think they're grasping at straws here um, as far as where the demons are going to go in light of Jesus. Um, there is, There may be a sense. Um, what, what's uh, By the presence of pigs, remember we know we're in Gentile territory because Jewish folks wouldn't be raising pigs. Okay, It's very possible that, that the demons go, hey, that's an unclean animal, and Jesus as a Jewish man won't want anything to do with it. So put us in there. Maybe he'll leave us alone in there. Who knows? Who knows what they're thinking? Okay. So uh, Jesus agrees that they are allowed to go into this herd of pigs. Uh, who who might this be making very nervous? The, um, pig owner? the pig farmer. Now, who knows how close this cat is to this description, but if you're like, uh, if the, you hear a guy, obviously demon-possessed, go, hey, can we go into the pigs? But, ah, uh, oh, wait. <laughs> he probably didn't get a word in, but this is probably going to make him nervous. And ultimately, he was right to be nervous. So it says, um, and begged him to let them enter the pigs, so he gave them permission. Notice they couldn't even do that without Jesus saying yes. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Boy, didn't that seem like a waste. Yeah, but what Mom said, how did they get the man in the first place? Then? If they needed Jesus' permission to go into the pigs, then wouldn't they have needed his permission to go into the people? Uh, I think the notion is because of, uh, the question was, um, wouldn't they need Jesus' permission to enter the man to begin with? I think the man can give permission, and I think he did. Um, demonic possession, guys, is not something that just happens to you. You don't just, you're not like a demon just doesn't approach you and just make its way into your life. You open it up. Um, either it's direct permission uh, by involving yourself in things like Satan worship or um, sometimes it's just being involved in dark things. A lot of times, guys, drug users will have this notion. It's because they, you start to, if you take certain types of drugs, it opens, it starts um, stretching your mind a bit. Things that you think that you would never think you would think start showing up in there. Um, and so you find that in a lot of drug uses that people end up, Finding some interaction with the negative spiritual world. Okay. Um, I think the pigs could. I think the man probably gave him gave them permission in some form or another. 
either through his lifestyle or through direct descent. I think the pigs don't have the ability to do that. That's why they had the aspiration. That'd be my guess. Humans, humans, as God's representatives on the earth, have the ability to choose that. And so, guys, broad point, guys, don't dabble in that stuff. It's dangerous. It's physically dangerous. It's spiritually dangerous. Um, don't your curiosity is not worth it. Um, if you ever enter a place and it feels dark, leave. Um, I do think there is a sense that this can come through families. So like um, it's certain cultic practices, like other religions of which you may have like shamans or voodoo priests and things like that um, who bring curses upon their families. I think it can probably that's possible. I don't know how much, but I think that's, that's also possible. So uh, just just stay out of it. Just don't even walk in. Don't even be part of that stuff. If you got a dark feeling, that's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you got to bail on this thing. And just know that it doesn't always express itself in purely um, spiritual ways, physical stuff too. Um, and obviously I would advocate don't use drugs anyway, but just recognize that like it puts you in a risk. You end up around dark people doing dark things and it puts a risk to you. So just be super careful. Okay. Um, what was the point of this story? Why did, why did, uh, of the pigs drowning? That the demons are super silly. They just died. Demons are dumb. They're selfish. Let me let, let me suggest to you that the that the demons um, going into the pigs and going into the lake was not does not is not intended to tell us anything about the demons. Think about it differently. That Jesus has the power to do that. How would you know? If you were standing if you were standing around Jesus, who was arguing with this man, this this nude, strong man who lives in the tombs, okay? How would you know that he just successfully cast out 2,000 to 6,000 demons? Because the pigs just ran Because you saw the pigs. You get it now? The pigs aren't there to tell us demonology, to tell us information about the demons. It's to show the crowd. It's a demonstration for the disciples, okay? In two, two successive stories, we just saw Jesus command uh, the wind and the waves to control creation. And then, lest you think that, oh, it's just a crazy man who decided to take it easy for a few minutes— you saw 2,000 pigs make a break for the lake and throw themselves in, of which pigs don't do. Is it exactly 2,000 pigs? No. Uh, well, uh, I think it's... Are there like three demons in each pig? It's not clear. Uh, Mark, Mark, I think Mark tells us it's 2,000, around 2,000. Okay, But the broad point was is that the, it wasn't about demons. It was about Jesus being able to validate or show his power, his authority over demons to the crowd around him. Does that make sense? If, if we're so – don't get hyper-focused on what this tells us about demons. It's supposed to tell us something about Jesus. Okay, That's why it happens. So for all the curiousness of this particular thing, why the pigs? Why do the pigs throw themselves in the lake? Maybe it has to do with the Roman legion of pigs. I've heard some interesting theories about like there's a Roman um, legion around there that has a pig as a mascot. I mean, okay, maybe. But like grand scheme of things, Jesus is demonstrating the reality of his authority over these things. He rules creation just like Yahweh does. He has the ability to do what Yahweh can do. Um, there is a clear evidence that like this is not a magic show. It's not a, oh, the guy was crazy and now he's not crazy. Look what, what I did. You could have paid a guy to do that. What you cannot pay for is 2,000 pigs to throw themselves into a lake. Make sense? And I bet that pig owner was super mad. Yes, let's get to him. When the herdsmen saw what happened, because they did, um, they came to Jesus, uh, sorry, they fled and told it in the city and in the country, as you would. Hey, man, there's a guy who cast out, said he cast out demons, and then all my pigs jump into the lake. 
Then people went out to see what had happened. Would you go? Would you go to check that out? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd go to check that out. Uh, and they fled and told, let's see, the people went out to see what happened. They came to Jesus and what, listen to this. This is one of the most beautiful pictures in scripture. Found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. This man who no one could bind, who was oriented towards isolation and things and was at home in the things of death and was possessed by like 2,000 demons has been completely restored at what? At the command of Jesus, at his voice, at his power, at his authority. He has been completely restored. He sits at Jesus's feet, calm, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. The people around him were afraid. Why were they afraid? Because nobody could hear that guy. That's and right. This random guy just came out and was like, three. They're asking themselves the same question that the disciples were asking the boat. What power is this? What could this possibly be? That this man who no one could bound is totally calm sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, sitting at the feet of Jesus, he's learning. Like, he's not just sitting there. This man has totally changed to now he's saying, whatever Jesus has to say, I'm in. That goes back to our family. This man is part of the family of Jesus. He's going to take it in. He's going to do it. And this man who was totally isolated from the world has now the biggest family ever. we got family all over the place, guys, including this man. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerizines asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. What are they afraid of? Is it the same fear of like what happened to this guy? Yeah, there's probably a notion of selfishness here. Like we don't, we know that this is big. We know this is super powerful. And we don't know what to do with it. Uh, and I'm afraid he's going to do more stuff to the pigs. Um, I don't know that this is completely foreign to us, to be honest. I, maybe, maybe this isn't you guys. It hasn't happened to you. But like, certainly I have had, I have had the thought before that of the power of dealing with Jesus and wondering whether I, I could, I, I could be a part of it. Not like worried that he wouldn't accept me, but like it felt too much. Like it felt like, um, Jesus could do absolutely anything in my life. Am I, Am I comfortable with that? Because I do have uh, my own definitions of comfort that probably hover around me being at my house or me. I have not changed jobs for almost 20 years. I've been doing the same job because I get comfortable in my job and I don't particularly like it seems scary to do something else. And like uh, I probably could do something else. Like I probably have the ability to go out and do other things. And I just get comfortable and I get maybe a little bit afraid or nervous about it. And I don't really want to do anything beyond that. And so I have my own sense of, of comfort. And, and I know that Jesus, my level of comfort isn't necessarily the thing that Jesus is looking to honor here. And so are there times where I think, boy, I just, with his power, with the things that he could get me involved in, think of any great story where you're like, man, that guy really, that, you remember that story from, um, uh, that the Wren Collective tells about the guy and the King of Ireland? Yeah. Where they light the fires or whatever. And sorry, I know I talked about this a few weeks ago in a different context. What's that? St. Patrick. Yeah, St. Pa- yes, St. Patrick. So they were going to, um, uh, the, the Druid king said, we want to light a fire, a giant fire, all the, no more fires throughout the land, one fire for the Druid king. 
um, to, to show him as the true ruler. And St. Patrick goes, no, nah, I think I want to light one for Jesus as the true king. And like, I would, I don't think I would ever do that because I'm like, boy, I mean, what's, isn't Jesus king anyway? Why do I have to light this fire at this time? It's just going to cause trouble. It's going to get me involved in something I don't know if I particularly want to be involved in. Um, and so why would I do that? And he did it anyway. And he ended up being able to talk to this king and change the heart of the king of Ireland and change the notion of following Christ in Ireland for many, many years to come. And so I think to myself, like that takes what Jesus is capable of doing might end up me lighting a fire that gets me arrested and sitting in front of the greatest ruler in the land, trying to make a defense for something that they don't believe in at all. And I think to myself, boy, that doesn't seem comfortable one bit. I don't know if I want to be involved in that. Like, so there's a fear. There's a fear in not only what Jesus can do, but what he will ask me to do. And it's a foolish fear because he will go with me, just like he went with St. Patrick. Um, I don't like to cause a rub if I can avoid it. Uh, Jesus will often send you into a rub because that's that's where the magic happens. That's where the good the good news goes where the good news is needed. The good news has hit my house. It's, it's, it's been around the corners. It's used the restroom. Okay. It's made a couple pots of beans. It's, it's, we're good here. And so, yes, do I have a fear that the power of Jesus might call me into something that I don't, that is not comfortable for me? Yes, I probably do. And I need, and so do I recognize that these guys are going, look, I don't know what this power is or what it means, but it's too much for us. Whatever it is, it's disruptive. It killed the pigs. It healed this man. And we don't know what to do with such power that does that. And so maybe it's better if it goes away. That's a human response. I totally get it. But in the, in the face of such authority and such power, guys, you gotta, we gotta rub it up and say, um, whatever God's got in this thing, it's gotta be good. And so can I follow it? Am I willing to get on board with it and cast my fear aside and said, um, whatever I'm afraid of. Okay. Hey, think of the stuff that he's already cast out, right? Death, uh, sickness demons, whatever the thing is I'm afraid of, Jesus is already conquered. And so there's no reason I shouldn't do anything but embrace it. The power that Jesus has here. Okay. Um, let's in this. Uh, this is the end of the story. He says, so we got into the boat and returned. Ooh, does Jesus go where people don't want him? No. no. The spiritual world works a lot like this. So just like I said, um, uh, demons are permission-based. Um, Jesus does the same thing. If they said, Jesus, we don't want you here, he goes, okay. And he, and he leaves. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus is done with it. doesn't mean he's done with these people. But they've asked him not to be around. They said, I don't want you. And he said, he said, okay. So he gets back in the boat. The man from whom the demons had begged that he might, uh, sorry, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. He wants to go with Jesus. I get that. I totally get that. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Um, how is this different? This interaction with this man that Jesus has healed and brought restoration to and his instruction to him. How is that different than what we've seen Jesus say so far? Exactly. In every other instance we've seen so far, Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Do they listen? No. I mean, not really. But he says, don't tell anybody. Why is he open to this man telling anybody? Because he's a Gentile. Yeah, because he's a Gentile. What what problems, what what issue does Jesus not have in Gentile territory that he has over in the Jewish territories? The charge of blasphemy. He doesn't have a blasphemy charge. That's right. He also doesn't have the political problems 
that come with people mistaking who Jesus is and what he brings. Right? Because the Jews have notions of Messiah. They have notions of this king figure. Um, the Gentiles don't necessarily have that. And so Jesus says, tell everybody. Tell, he says, tell everybody how much God has done for you. And the man went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. You notice that? He says, tell, tell, tell everybody what God has done for you. And the guy goes, Jesus has done this. That part of the story, the, that mix, it shows a more informed view of the world than what the disciples were catching on the boat. They're still pondering to themselves, how could, who can this be? Who is this man? And how can he have this? When Jesus tells the healed demoniac to otherwise go tell everybody what God has done, he says, well, Jesus has done this for me. Now, it's not clear that he actually thinks Jesus is God. That's actually, that's, I don't know if we can take that from the text. But the way he tells the story, okay, that, that, that connection gets it exactly right. That we have the, the, the understanding of this is what God has done. He says this is what Jesus has done. And that we should think of those things as similar things. That's the same thing. Okay, good. What questions do you guys have today? We're good? We're good over here? Okay, so things things to pray on this week, guys. Um, one, I, you know, we can pray. God, where is our faith? Um, that weep weep with me is is a good is a good reminder, right? Like, what what are we putting our faith in? And where we have unbelief, are we going back to God asking for help? So I, I think that's a good reminder. Whatever you're going through, God has not abandoned you. He's with you. It doesn't mean you're going to get the answer that you want. It doesn't mean you get the worldly solution that you want. Okay, but the God that we serve and the King that we serve has power over all these things. Nothing you're facing is stronger than what he is, okay? It doesn't mean that he's just going to run in and fix it. The Holy Spirit doesn't work like that. The, the Holy Spirit is a helper. God still has the intent that you rule the world on, on his behalf and that you influence on his behalf. And so the Holy Spirit isn't just going to come fix your problems, okay? There's, you have to act in obedience and act in faithfulness. So if it's an isolation thing, start having conversations. Get around people. Don't leave yourself to your own thoughts, okay? If it's a... A notion of sin in your life, confess it. Be honest about it. Confess it out loud. Okay? Say it to other people. Our notion of even this thing between us and God isn't isn't a thing. Okay? He's community is good. Um, if it's a I'm worried that this thing will overtake me, let's start taking in scripture that remind us God is bigger than that. Okay, that He's capable of helping us in those things. And then when it comes to the the demoniac, um, one thing I want to make sure we, we think about, guys, is who did you think had no shot? Is there anybody in your life where you're like, this person has no shot at being healed? It's too much. It's too long. There's too many demons. There's too many battles. It cannot be done. Because Jesus walked into a harrowing situation and didn't have a problem with it all. Two, one demon, 2,000 demons, 6,000 demons, isolation, tomb living. Okay? Jesus doesn't flinch at any of that stuff. And so where there are things in our lives that we can recognize that, that are not bigger than Jesus, just recognize that's true in other people's lives. And so be the bearer of good news. Be the person that reaches out to them and has hope for them. Has hope that things can change. Because we know that they can. And we know that Jesus can do that. Okay. That's it for this week, guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. Um, we will try to connect. Uh, I, I failed. I don't know why. how I got in charge of this Zoom thing. I don't do this well. Uh, if anybody wants to volunteer for that and try to keep that thing rolling, that would be much better than having me do it. Um... But uh, yeah, if we want to meet this week, maybe someone can grab a hold of that. Uh, and oh, so I, I would like to, I want you to start thinking about us getting back together. Um, I probably won't be next week, but maybe the week following. Um, 
at least again from my perspective, I think the the, the landscape is the more information we're getting, um, the more this feels like something that there's a way to safely do this for us. Um, for some of us, I, I think uh, Carson, you got like you guys are your own kind of unique case, um, and I know that. So like we'll figure out how what this looks like going forward. But um, you know, to the to the extent that it's safe to do so, and you have to follow your own conscience, I would like to start uh, seeing y'all's faces again. So just put the thought on that. Probably not next week, but let's start thinking about the week after. And uh, in the meantime, guys, uh, I love you, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you later.